Greetings and welcome to the OU's Mishnah Yomit program. My name is Yitzchak Et Shalom. I'm delighted and privileged to be studying Masechet Ketubot with you here uh, via the Orthodox Union's website, OU.org. And we're going to begin today with Perak Aleph and do the first two Mishnayot, Mishnah Aleph and Mishnah Bet. Um, just one quick prefatory remark, and we'll discuss this uh, in uh, little segments along the way in our study of Masachek Tubot. Masachek Tubot, as the name implies, deals chiefly, but not at all exclusively, with the financial obligations of a husband towards his wife uh, in advance of, uh, and during, and uh, in the aftermath of a marriage. Um, uh, although there are many, many tangential issues that come up in the course of the discussion in the Mishnayot. Uh, the first parak is devoted to the process itself of marriage, meaning the timing of marriage, and the, the consideration that there may be a concern on the part of the chatan, the groom, when he marries his wife, that he finds or claims that she is not whom she was represented to be before the marriage. So one other prefatory note, which is absolutely critical here for understanding the entire corpus of the Mishnayot of Ketubot and in other parts of Nashim, is that the common custom at the times of the Mishnah, certainly, and well into the Middle Ages, was for a man to betroth a woman, that's Kiddushin, something that we'll get to in a later Masachet, uh, and give her something of value, or if she was below age, to give that something of value to her father. That may have been as early as the day she was born, or when she was a little girl, or when she was close to coming of age. Uh, and then, any a period of somewhere between a number of months and a year, or longer if she was not yet of age, uh, would be uh, sort of a time of suspension when the girl was mikudeshet. She could not have relations or marry any other man, but she was not yet married to her husband. And then there would be nisuin, which is the marriage itself, when the two would come together and cohabit and spend a week celebrating with the community uh, and uh, and then commence the married life. Here we go. Betula niset layom harvi. So if a girl is a betula, meaning she was never married before, and we assume assume that she's never had relations before, she is typically married on a Wednesday. Ve'almana liyom hachamishi. A widow, on the other hand, and this would apply also to a divorcee, is married on a Thursday. Now, the, Gemara, the Mishnah will not explain the reason for the Thursday, so at the end of the Mishnah I'll explain that, but the Wednesday will be explicated. As per the Takanav, Ezra, read about Masachet Bavakama at the end of the, uh, at the end of the seventh parak, uh, the, uh, because the market days in the Near East at that time were on Mondays and Thursdays, he also ordained two important decrees. One, that the courts should be in session on Mondays and Thursdays, so when people come into the city to market, they could have a baiting available for any uh, issues that they needed to uh, to deal with, any questions they needed to ask, and most importantly, any cases they wanted to bring uh, against the fellow trader or farmer. Uh, the other second ordinance fa- famously was also that the Torah be publicly read on those days so that these people should have at least some contact with Torah. Now, since the Bate Din are in session, Bayom Hashini on Monday and on Thursday, 
Therefore, Here's the deal. The man marries the woman on Wednesday. Wednesday night, they have relations. If he then has a claim that she really was not a Betula, even though she was presented that way, and there's a long discussion in the Gemara as to whether he is coming to claim that the Ketubah should be a lesser amount, because the Ketubah for a Betula is 200 zoos, and for, or 50 shekel, and the Ketubah for an Almanah is half that. Um, or whether he's coming actually to claim something far more nefarious, and that is that she had relations outside of Kiddushin, and there may be stronger sanctions. In any case, we want to set up a uh, circumstance where there won't be a big lag time between his discovery, as it were, of her status, and his opportunity to come to Beitin. So get married on Wednesday, come the next morning on Thursday. So the question asked in the Gemara is, so why not allow them to get married on Sunday, because you have Beit Din in session on Monday. The answer is that you want to give him several days after Shabbat to prepare for the wedding, uh, and therefore he has Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday to prepare. Wednesday is the wedding, and of course, hopefully, it all goes off without a hitch. But if not, then you have Thursday. Now, again, the, the Mishnah does not explain why an Almanah is married on Thursday. The Gemara explains that the uh, when you look at the days of the week in the first chapter of Breshit, on Yom HaChamishi, there was a special bracha given to the fish, that they be fruitful and multiply. So the Yom HaChamishi is a day of bracha. Uh, of course, Minhagim have varied throughout the generations as to what day marriages typically take place on. In many communities today, uh, in uh, outside of Israel, they typically take place on a Sunday. There are many people who are careful to still have their weddings on Wednesday. Uh, in Yerushalayim, in the old days, meaning uh, before the independence, uh, the weddings were typically held on Friday uh, as they had the entire Shabbat to celebrate because they didn't have the uh, financial wherewithal to celebrate for a whole week. Again, Nahara, Nahara, Upashte. Now, the second Mishnah. Betula, Ketuvata Matayim, Valmana Maneh. So here's the basics. A Betula has a Ketuba of 200, which means that the minimum amount that is committed to her as sort of security in the document as part of the marriage, and even if there is no document, it's there anyways, it's a time baitin, as we'll see in the fourth and fifth parak, um, is 200 zoos, which in today's economy, people have written articles about this, would probably be whatever the minimum poverty level is, uh, ba- that's based on the fact that the Mishnah in Peah establishes the poverty line is 200 zoos, if you have less than 200 zoos, you can collect all of the matnot uh, aniim. Almana has uh, half of that. That means if the husband dies, or if the husband divorces her, then there is payment of that amount, plus whatever else there may be in there, plus whatever she may have brought in to the marriage comes to her, maybe immediately, maybe not, and that's stuff that we'll discuss much later on. Now, let's say a woman was um, was a, was betrothed, and then uh, she became divorced or widowed, or chalutza I means she was had a kiddushin with a fellow, and uh, we just finished studying Masachet Yivamot, so you're familiar with this. And the fellow died, and there were of course no children, and so therefore she had to do chalutza. Tubatan matayim, the yishtan tanat betulim. They have a ketubah of 200, even though she was formally betrothed to somebody, because that marriage was never consummated, and ended either in divorce or chalitza, which is sort of a parallel to it, or in being become, becoming widowed, sort of connected to chalitza. Therefore, she still has a ketubah of 200 the next time she marries, 
And therefore, the second husband, the new husband, can make a claim she's not a betula because that's the expectation. However, hagiot v'shvuya v'shivcha. So let's say you have a convert or somebody, a Jewish woman, who was taken into captivity and ransomed, or somebody who was a shivcha who was freed. If these transformations happened before the respective girls were three, meaning a girl was converted before she was three, or a girl was taken captive and ransomed before she was three, or a shifcha was freed before she was three, because even if, in some disgusting way, they had had B.R., somebody had B.R. with them at that very tender age, it would not affect their betulim. The general rule is that before the age of three, it doesn't affect the betulim, and she'd still be a betula. Yes, then, tanah betulim. Of course, the inverse is, uh, so we say, the implication of that uh, is also true, which is something that we're going to see in Mishnah Dalad in the next podcast. But in the meantime, we'll pause here and wish everyone a wonderful day.